Welcome to Books That Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. Part of that has to be about building workplaces and cultures where people enjoy and feel good about being at work. This is part two of sharing the best and most useful bits of our Books at Work books so far. And today we're putting the spotlight on the insights that each of us have control over to help us thrive at work. Here are a few of the questions that I thought it would be interesting to try to answer. What am I like at work and what can I control that will make work better? How can I have more impact and make a difference at work? How does what I do affect the culture of the place I work in? It's interesting, there's some new research that's just come out from Gallup internationally. It says that the world's more stressed, more angry, sad and worried in 2020 than it has been at any point in the past 15 years. So maybe it's just time and maybe it's okay to look at ourselves and try some things differently to make work better. Let's start with us as individuals. Fall in love with who you are. That's Janine Garner's advice in her book, Be Brilliant. She gets to the heart of how we think about ourselves with impassioned advocacy of owning your own spotlight. It's okay to believe in yourself. In fact, it's more than okay. If you believe in yourself and what you're doing, work will be so much more enjoyable and satisfying. Our teams are looking to our leaders to inspire them to step up. Um, our teams, young and old, are looking to our leaders for guidance to show them what it means to be a great leader now and into tomorrow. And if we as individuals can't accept who we are, if we can't own our strengths, if we can't openly admit our weaknesses, if we can't accept our flaws and imperfections, we are never, ever going to create the space to allow our teams to do that. And so it absolutely starts with you owning who you are, not making excuses, not making up fake stories, not pretending to be something you're not, but to actually fall back in love with exactly the person you are, with all your experience, all your differences, all your cultural heritage, all of the highs and lows, all of that backstory, knowing that you're exactly where you need to be right now. And that person, that you that you are, have the absolute opportunity to create an impact every single day. If making a difference is something that you get out of work or a job, then sitting on the fence as the world goes by and decisions are made that you don't like or think could be different isn't going to cut it, right? This is where the concepts of courage and conviction come in. A few of our books at work authors dive into this. Let's hear from Digby Scott, author of Changemakers, and why courage needs to be near the top of our lists when we're at work. Right, and so we need to be able to take some leaps of faith and, and venture into the unknown. And I think the definition of courage is essentially taking action without being guaranteed of success and doing it anyway. It doesn't mean being reckless, it means thinking things through, but then still acting, knowing that you're not fully guaranteed of the outcome you would hope for. And there's potentially something big at stake. So, you know, it's about being able to move, keep moving, keep moving. And personally, what I found is by just making a call, not necessarily being guaranteed of success, 
having a curious mindset that goes with it, I build my confidence because I'm like, oh, I did that thing. Hi, oh, it, it did work. Or actually, it didn't really work how it worked, but man, I learned. So now what I do next is this. And I've got this sense of progress that comes with it as opposed to a sense of kind of stuckness. So if you were to give one tip to people about how to build their courage muscle or be more courageous, what would it be? Oh, well, I'm going to channel Eleanor Roosevelt here and say, and I'll paraphrase, you know, do one thing every day that scares you. Now, that might be something really, really small, like saying hi to a stranger on the street or, um, I don't know, um, reaching out to someone that you normally wouldn't, or it might be, I don't know, uh, yeah, so something, anything that you just feel that little tingle up your spine, going, oh, I don't know. And uh, I, I liken it to going to the gym, right? You don't go to the gym and, um, and just lift, you know, 300 kilos or I don't know what you lift in the gym. That sounds a bit much actually, but you build it up over time. So you just go every day and you do a little bit more and then that just slowly builds up your courage muscle. So that would be my number one tip. The Change Makers and Be Brilliant books are full of positive reasons and evidence to believe in ourselves and try doing things differently at work. Just give things a go. If they're true to who you are, then you can't fail. You might learn new things, but you won't fail. That leads nicely into our third piece of thriving advice from Sunil Gupta in his book, Backable. Making a difference at work makes it a better place to spend time, and often that means coming up with new ways to do things or making change. Backable is all about getting others to take notice of and buy into your ideas. And listen to Sunil because he says this starts with us as individuals first. Anytime we come up with anything new, it's fragile. And so are we. You know, Jerry Seinfeld has this great quote, which is like, never share that day's material. No matter how good you think it is, you never want to, you never want to do that until you actually build what we call in the book conviction. So tell me about the conviction. What, what, yeah. what is that? And who, who do you have to convince first? Yeah, well, you know, you have to convince yourself first. And one of the things that I, I was surprised to find when I started writing this book, and to write this book, I spent time with hundreds of backable people, you know, Oscar-winning filmmakers, to celebrity chefs, to founders of iconic companies, to leaders within organizations. And, and, and what I found, what I, what I expected to find is that all of them were going to be highly charismatic people. That's what I thought would happen, but that did not turn out to be the case. Of course, some of them were extroverted and gregarious, but, but I would say the vast majority of them were not. It's not charisma that makes a person convincing. It's conviction. Backable people take the time to convince themselves first, and then they let that, back, they let that conviction shine through in whatever style it is that feels most natural to them. So we're creating the stepping stones toward thriving at work. We're backing and being ourselves, and we're stepping up with courage and conviction. Imagine how work would feel if it was underpinned by the secret to success uncovered by US Olympic marathon runner, Dina Castor, and shared with us in her book, Let Your Mind Run. In, in the book, you talk about gratitude and goodness, and I was really struck by this because you were talking about it quite a long time ago, before gratitude and gratitude journals became a thing. So I um, was really keen to explore that a bit more, and you talk about scanning the world for goodness and 
how it um, helped you channel new energy. So just keen to understand what that was like and how it influenced you and your world when you, you started to do that. Yeah. Gratitude is one of my favorite traits. I have my gratitude journal sitting right here. I have one on my nightstand and one next to my computer. Um, so I, Cicero, the ancient Roman philosopher, I was really struck years ago when I was reading about him and him saying that gratitude was not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all others. And really going on in his teachings, his lengthy teachings to say that only by being able to scan the world and see the good in it, could you possibly practice the good or be the good or share the good with others, which is my life purpose. So I better see the good in the, <laughs> in the world if I'm going to share it with others. But also I read in a brain science journal that our minds are not capable of multitasking. So if we're looking for good in our world, we can't also be frustrated with all those little low level hums of um, irritation and frustration. So it really is putting your mind in a better focus, not being dismissive of, of things, because if there's something we need to fix in our lives, then we should be fixing it. But to see the good and have that get the, um, the most of our attention is really important. And when we can see the good, we could also add the good and we add good to our day. We're, we're subconsciously telling ourselves that we're deserving of good in our lives. So our self-esteem and our self-worth climb and our, our productivity and happiness go through the roof. So there's this huge snowball effect to gratitude. And it's, and it's really important to, um, to make sure that that we're that our our headlines in our minds aren't always nagging and complaining about about things gone wrong or out things that are out of our control. And when we first start gratitude, I think the most important um, rule in keeping a gratitude list is every time. So I write down three things that I'm grateful for every single day, and and. Each time I write down three items, it has to be unique. And that's a really important rule to keeping a gratitude list because listen, I could, I have a, a great job, a wonderful family, and I'm, and I'm healthy. That's a lot to be grateful for, but those are pretty broad, pretty broad items. If I just wake up to be grateful for those three things every day, I don't get that histochemical effect those endorphins flooding my body. But if I could say, wow, I am so grateful that the hospital I was just at yesterday while my daughter got a cast on her broken leg, they had pink casts available and that made all the difference. So I am grateful for colorful casts so that my daughter could have that silver lining in, a, in, a, in her ski accident this weekend. So, so, so finding the good in things is really important. And, um, and the more specific we can be and the more unique we could be each day, it forces us to scan our world to see more good in it, but also the more specific allows it to have a greater impact, a greater release of endorphins into our body. So gratitude is an amazing practice and it's really the gateway to seeing any other good virtue. Cicero said it, it is, it is the gateway to any, to any good virtue. I consider it the starting line to just scrolling through your life and, and, and acquiring more good in it. And when we can have more good in our lives, it allows us to share more good. So um, gratitude is such an important part of my day, um, but it's certainly a practice and a trait that would benefit any single person practicing it, no matter what your striving is. Remember, these books are all available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on booksatwork.co.nz to go back to listen to. Please do.
I do hope these insights are helping out as we look at what we can do as individuals to make work better. Please keep giving me your feedback. Right, so now to the question about how culture and how we behave at work influences what work is like for us and our teammates. A quick tip on this from Colin D. Ellis from his book, Culture Fix. And so what it requires is moving from one state to another. So it, it requires that recognition that as individuals, we've all got to do something slightly different if as an organization and as individuals, we ever want to grow, Anna. So behaviors are your personal commitments. It's what are you going to do? Like tangibly, what are you going to do that's different? Yeah, I remember one of the first exercises I ran with my team about this. When I when I didn't really have much of a structure, it was based on my own experience. So this is kind of the mid 2000s, early 2000s. And we talked about, well, you know, kind of we had this, this base of underperformance and we wanted to become a high performing team. You know, I remember saying we all have to change. We all have to do something different. What are those five key behaviors that we think that we need as a team in order for us to get from where we are right now to where we need to be? Now, you know, in an ideal world, what you do is you demonstrate 21, 22 behaviors every day and you're exemplary individuals. But in order to get that shift, we need to kind of really zone in on what were those key things. So, for example, courage was one because we weren't very good at holding each other to account. Accountability was another, you know, having those difficult conversations, being able to speak up, recognizing that we needed to create safe workspaces that, you know, really encourage diversity of opinion. Um, and, and so in order to get any kind of change, any kind of evolution, it starts with self. So the behaviors are a way of identifying, well, what as an individual, as a human being, do you need to tweak in order to contribute to future success? Another interesting take on reframing how we think about things and how what we do impacts on others comes from Jane Ridderford in her book, Learning to Lead Together. Just wondering if you could quickly talk about that story, but flesh out the the couple of elements from the I, we, and the planet. And it it does hark back to Plato's uh, beauty, truth, and justice. And if those three things are in place, then goodness flows. I started reading up about all this stuff, and then I thought, right, I'm going to craft the next workshop consciously focusing on these three different domains so self culture and nature and as far as I understood them that meant this more inner dimension of ourselves then the uh, culture was this collective dimension and the space between people and you could and then the planet was the outer physical tangible so you could say inner, outer and collective. The last word on how we can do things to thrive at work goes to Susie McAlpine from her book Beyond Burnout. I love this insight from her book because it draws together what we can do as individuals, how we behave and how that contributes to culture and the potentially negative impact of these things as it surfaces up in the form of burnout. And burnout is not something that will make work better. So unfortunately, isolation at work is on the rise globally. People are feeling more isolated than ever. And there's a whole lot of reasons which I go into the book about that. 
Um, but some of the causes of that may be microaggressions due to, for example, race and gender. Uh, excessive workplace politics or bullying uh, can also cause people to feel isolated. Uh, unmanaged conflict, so conflict that is uh, interpersonal conflict that's less left to, to fester. But even just creating, um, having a lack of psychological safety or trust. So one of the things that I often talk about with leaders is that your first priority as a leader is to build uh, a sense of trust with you and your team uh, and a sense of psychological safety uh, because these can really act as buffers for burnout. So that was our quick dive into some of the ideas from six of our first 12 authors on Books at Work. I hope that there is at least one thing in here that you can adopt or try or do differently at work to make work better. Check out the Take 5 summary on booksatwork.co.nz. Please follow Books at Work on Instagram and share with others who might be interested. I'd love to know the things that you might be trying out to make work better. I'm Anna Hughes and that's Books That Work.